good fun last night. Uh, gave me a chance to put on my, you know, pretend I was a rock star artist for a moment. That was good. Enjoyed that. Um, thank you. And thanks for everyone who came along and, and uh, enjoyed the, the time together. We've got a very gifted bunch of people, don't we, who come along to this church. Um, we're very thankful for that. Uh, friends, have, um, have a Bible open in front of you. Uh, if you don't have one, then in a moment I'll give you a chance to go and get one if you'd like that chance. Uh, also, you'll note there's, where is it? There it is. In your bulletin there's an outline that'll help you a little bit, give you some space to write a few things down. Also, there's a preaching program for the next little while as well. You can stick on your fridge and uh, that'll help, I hope. Um, I want you to think for a minute. Think for a minute of what you love about coming here. Now, I'm hoping there's something that you love about coming here that it won't be just a drag and, oh, I'm going to go to church again. Uh, now, what, what do you love about coming here? I'm, I'm hoping as we sort of start to think and... Have you got something in your head? Have you got, have you got, what do you love about coming here? I'm hoping there's something because what I want you to do now, and this might be an opportunity to grab a Bible if you don't have one, what I want you to do now is share with the person next to you what do you love about coming here, okay? Go. Okay, did you get a chance to share something? I hope you did. Because I'm not going to ask you to share them uh, out loud, although maybe we could, but maybe over morning tea you could share that. That might be a good conversation starter. You can just walk up to someone. You know why I love coming here? That won't feel abnormal at all. Um, you see, I, I think 1 Corinthians 12, and I think 13 as well, remind us about the goodness of coming together as God's people. Gathering in the name of the Lord Jesus, all those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, this passage reminds us that it's good to belong. It's good to belong. It's good to be part of this. But with belonging come responsibilities. And we see that in this passage also. So, why don't I pray for us and then we're going to get stuck into this uh, wonderful part of God's word. Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy to us. We pray that you would speak uh, through me and help me to speak clearly and help us to listen. And Father, we pray, Lord, that as we uh, celebrate in your goodness, we also remember our responsibilities as your church and you'd help us with that. You'd help us to put your words into practice, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I've forgotten the clicker. I'm going to need the clicker. That's what I should have done when you were sharing with each other, but I didn't. Brendan's going to race forward. This is always great when these sort of sections. Okay, here we go. So, well, being um, chapter 12, verse 1 is where we start this morning. In 12, verse 1, Paul picks up another church matter that it seems the Corinthians have brought to his attention in their letter to him. Remember, that's how the, 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 the letter works. Now, if we flip back to 7, verse 1 for a minute, well, let me show you a few things. 7, verse 1, Paul writes, Now for matters that you wrote to me about. You see that there? And then what does he do? He goes on to uh, deal with issues relating to marriage and singleness and he responds to the concerns that they have had. Now, have a look at 8 verse 1. 8 verse 1, Paul says, Now about food sacrifice to idols. And then he deals with that issue. 
And then we, now we come to 12 verse 1 and he responds to something else that that's, they've written to him about. You see in 12 verse 1, now about spiritual gifts. So Paul's responding to something that, he, that he's been written to about, it, some questions, some concerns. But the first issue that we come up against in 12 verse 1 is that the word gift is actually not there in the original. It's not there in the, in the, in the Greek. Uh, the word that is there is a word is an adjective uh, called pneumatica. That's the word. Now, it means spiritual things or uh, even spiritual people. It's that type of word, um, spiritual stuff, if you, want to, if you want to use that. I don't know. Uh, it's probably a word that the Corinthians coined as a bit of a phrase, spiritual, spiritual things. And they're, so they're writing to him. They've written to him about spiritual things. So it seems that Corinthians had written to Paul about questions they had concerning spiritual experiences which were leading to some confusion and also it was leading to some disunity. And so in verse 1, 12 verse 1, Paul does not want them to be ignorant about these spiritual things or spiritual things in general. So he says, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know. In fact, get this next bit clear in verses 1 to 3. Get this bit clear, well, and then you'll, then you'll understand the rest. You'll, you'll get it right. Uh, you'll understand everything else that I'm going to tell you if you get this next little bit clear. So verse 3 says, Therefore I tell you that not one... Sorry, start again. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 2, if you flick back there, look back there for a minute, verse 2 indicates that in their previous pagan life of idol worship, which was common in Corinth, saying Jesus is cursed was part and parcel of, the, of their language. Okay? But now they have the Spirit of God, they're able to say Jesus is Lord. See, in, in fact, confessing or believing that Jesus is Lord, see, it's not just words, is it? We're not just talking about words. We're, we're talking about believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord. That's what it means to be truly spiritual. That's at the centre of spiritual things. That's what it means to have the Spirit. Just to say, to confess that Jesus is Lord. Here's the most fundamental and important work of the Spirit. That someone would confess Jesus is Lord that they would recognise who Jesus is. Ever wondered when, uh, whether uh, someone has the Spirit or not? Well, look at what they say about Jesus. So Paul writes, we need to be clear. We need to be clear on what the Spirit's number, role, number one role is before we move on to other things spiritual. He wants them to know that all who truly confess Jesus is Lord do so by the Holy Spirit and therefore confirm his presence in their lives. You see, there's a unity in the Spirit and, a uni and unity also in the confession that Jesus is Lord. That's got to be the basis of all the discussion that follows. But that unity that they share in Corinth, those Christians in Corinth, and of course that we share too as believers in the Lord Jesus, does not mean there's no distinctions uh, 
doesn't mean there's no distinctions to be made among them. Paul wants them not to be ignorant that in God's church there is great unity but also diversity. And that's good. That's a good thing, he says. In fact, God himself delights in diversity. So we pick things up in, uh, in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now jump down to verse 11. All these, now that's the gifts that Paul has just referred to that we'll come back to in a moment. All these gifts are the work of the one and the, and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. So just as in God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, there is unity and diversity, likewise there is unity and diversity in the, in the church. So here's what Paul is teaching them about the church. I'm, I'm thinking this is a pretty good analogy, but I'm not really quite sure. So you see, the church, the church is not a one-man band. Now I saw a one-man band once. It was at a Paul, Paul Kelly concert. Remember that, Michelle? It was awesome. Um, it was actually... I think it was better than Paul Kelly, sorry. I sat in awe. This guy could play everything and it was all tied on his back. And front and back, so next year's open mic night, that's where I'm heading. Um, (laughs) It was amazing. This guy, I was absolutely in awe of it. But of course, that is not God's church. That's not what Paul's saying. No, no, God's church is like an orchestra. Uh, I love orchestras too. Each part making its own unique contribution to the symphonic harmony. That's, that's the analogy, isn't it? That's what God's church is. It's not a one-man band, as good as we might think a one-man band is. The unity in the spirit and in the confession of Jesus as Lord and diversity in the gifts. That's something else Paul wants them to know. So what's the purpose of these gifts? The, the giver's purpose. You see it in verse 7? The giver's purpose of these manifestations of the Spirit, these gifts, what is it? You see it there, the common good. There's a purpose to them. Or if we jump over, don't do it now, but in 14 verse 26, they're for the strengthening of the church, the building up of the church. That's the purpose of these gifts, these diverse gifts, these different instruments that we share and play. Gifts aren't given for my own individual experience. They're not given for that. And nor are they given for any sort of boasting either. That, of course, leads to disunity, a problem in Corinth that we've already discovered way back in chapter 1, 2 and 3. Here's another issue with disunity. It's clear that Paul needed to remind the Corinthians that there's no reason for pride when it comes to gifts given by the Spirit. Remember what Paul said to them back in 4 verse 7. Actually, it's worth flipping back to 4 verse 7 if you've got your Bible there. 4 verse 7 says, For who makes you different from anyone else? Paul says. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as, as though you did not? So, it seems the church was full of pride at things given, but also ashamed because of the things they had not been given. Paul says they're gifts. They're gifts from God. 
There's no room for boasting at all. They're given to you. And their purpose, of course, is not for you, but what is it? It's for the common good. It's for the church. Friends, verse 7 indicates that all in God's church have been given manifestations of the Spirit. This is chapter 12, verse 7, sorry. 12, verse 7, we're back there again. All have been given these manifestations of the Spirit. And in the context, I think that's clearly gifts of the Spirit. Now, perhaps, perhaps you're not sure what, um, what your gifts are. You're not alone. You know, we go through periods like that wondering, what, what might be my gift? Or what are my gifts that God's given me? My suggestion is to, to pray about it, to ask God about it. Uh, ask your Christian friends, what's, what are my gifts? And, and then use them. Use them for the common good. Use them to strengthen and build up the church. Use those gifts. However, we must remember that, uh, if I can use this word, gifting. Gifting is not an excuse for opting out when it comes to acts of service. We've got to beware of the, the selfishness of, no, it's not my gift. No, cleaning up in the kitchen is not my gift. I'm not going to do it. Nope. No, I do not have the gift of stacking chairs, so I'm not going to do that. Nope. nope. I do not have the gift of vacuuming. Nope. Um, no, 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 that's, that's a bit silly, but it's, we, can, we can head down that path, can't we? I think everyone has the gift of cleaning up in the kitchen. I tell my family that. Um, <laughs> I think everyone has the gift of probably stacking chairs, I think, vacuuming. You see where I'm going. Let's not confuse our responsibility for service with gifts of the Spirit. There are different gifts, but we all are called to serve. Okay, so what do we make of this list then in verses 8 to 10? Uh, it's got some interesting terms, doesn't it? Uh, and over the years, Christians have been a little confused and... Uh, there's been a bit of controversy about some of the things that are listed here. So what do, we, what, do we, what do we make of this list? Well, I want to say, not a great deal. Not a great deal. So remember, Paul is responding to what they have written to him about, which probably included questions about the gifts that are listed here. There's no sense that this list is exhaustive or it's final and that's it. It seems more likely that Paul's simply responding to concerns that they've written to him about. Now, here's the difficulty. The difficulty is that we're not given an explanation as to what these gifts were. Now, some pop up again in chapter 14, which we'll get to in a number of weeks' time, as it turns out. So tongues and prophecy, that, that pops up again. We've already spoken about our prophecy in chapter 11. But the Bible doesn't say much more about, say, gifts of knowledge, uh, gifts of wisdom or miraculous powers. Even faith. Why is faith there as a gift? We all, we're all given faith by God. So what does that mean, I wonder? Uh, they might just be what they called certain gifts. And, and we're really only guessing as to what they were. But I want to say that's okay. It's not really Paul's point. Paul's point is clear, that whatever the type of gift you have, well, we must remember it is given by the Spirit, the Spirit that causes us to confess Jesus is Lord, and its purpose is unifying. The purpose of the gift, whatever it is, is for the common good. Well, what Paul does next is he gives an illustration. It's one of the most famous parts of the Bible. It's a beautiful part of the Bible. Uh, 
He gives an illustration of this diversity and unity of, the, the, of God's church. One body, many parts. It's, it's just such a wonderful part of the Bible and it reminds us of how good it is to be part of God's church. So one body, many parts. Point three in your outline there. Paul says, in the body of Christ, the church, each part is dependent on, dependent on each other. It is such a lovely image, and when it works in God's church, it is a profound solidarity. Really great. I learned some, uh, I don't know, some years back, I can't remember. Why, why, the, the reason why migrating geese fly in a V, you might know this reason. I was a bit slow in the uptake here. That's sort of what it roughly looks like. Is that clear? Okay, there. The, each goose flapping its wings creates an upward lift for the geese that follow. So when the geese, all of them, do their part, the whole flock, they reckon, uh, has 71% greater flying than if the bird were to fly alone. So the clear analogy here is that you are all geese. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, you see what's going on, don't you? Uh, you see, isn't, isn't that incredible? It's pretty cool, isn't it? That that's how they fly. Um, they depend on each other. Friends, God has not made us to follow Jesus alone. That's, that's one of the messages we get here. It's almost as if as these, these birds fly, it's almost as if they fly as one body, unified in, in purpose and direction, even though there's many parts. See, that's not a bad image, is it, of what 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about. Well, let's pick up two things. Let's pick up two things from these verses. The first is that all parts... Remember the diversity, the instruments of the orchestra? All parts of the body have a role to play and we are dependent on each other to fulfil those roles. In fact, that's what makes the body work. See Paul's analogy? Paul says that, that we are not all ears or eyes or arms or legs. No, no, no. If we were all the same, the body wouldn't work. And so the eye should not say, because they are not an ear, they do not belong to the body. No, 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 no. See verse 18? God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Fascinating thought, isn't it? See, God has put you here. God has put you in this church, in this community, with your gifts, whatever they are, just as he wanted them to be. Isn't that great? <laughs> Isn't that great? And look at verse 19. If they were all one part, well, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We need each other. We need each other. We're dependent on each other. Verse 22. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. Isn't God's church wonderful? Isn't it beautiful? What a beautiful picture. You know, I was speaking to one of our teenagers um, on our Friday night youth ministry, Ribs. Uh, she shared with me why she loves coming. And she, she's someone who's gone through some tough times. Why, why do you love coming? And I asked her, why do you come? And she said to me, well, I'm accepted here. I'm accepted. 
She isn't judged for what she looks like. She's not judged for her fashion choices or, in her words, the size of her bum. (laughs) No, 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 she's loved for who she is. She doesn't get it anywhere else. Uh, In the world, uh, for her, it's high school. Well, she's seen as weak. Uh, She's seen as less honourable, dispensable, even. But in God's church, it makes me emotional. In God's church, <laughs> she is indispensable. She's honoured. Mm, take a deep breath for a minute. <laughs> ah, well, the second thing, let's go on to the second thing. <laughs> She's very special. She really is. And so each one of us. It's good, isn't it? The second thing we want to pick up here, and it follows on from this, is that in God's church, uh, we have equal concern for one another. Uh, there's, no, there's no special treatment to the, uh, for the presentable parts. In verse 24, in God's church, we're all equal. Uh, the, the rich, the poor, the, the good-looking, the ugly, the sociable, the not-so-sociable. Um, In God's church, as James wrote, there's no favouritism. Or as Paul writes in verse 25, we have equal concern for one another. Uh, God's church ought to be a safe place. In many ways, it ought to be an escape from the world. It's a little little taste of heaven, isn't it? We spoke about last night where where we celebrate the rest we have in Jesus. The rest we have in Jesus. So because of the unity we share in the spirit, uh, our shared confession that Jesus is Lord, this unity, it's not minimal, is it? It's not superficial. Uh, It's profound. It it, it means, for example, see verse 26, if one part suffers, then every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, then every part rejoices with it. Now, Now I know that this church has experienced both in recent years. Uh, Here's what one commentator wrote. Um, In the body of Christ, there should, strictly speaking, be no private sufferings. That's true, isn't it? How are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? Are we a church that that if one part suffers, we suffer with it? Uh, If one part is honoured, we rejoice with it? I suspect, like any church, we need to keep working on it. You can't just sit back and let it happen. It it won't just happen. You need to keep working on it. We need to move past the superficial, uh, taking time to get to know people personally. Uh, It's why small groups are so important for our church. Friends, it's why it's so important, as we spoke about last week, to be committed to being here. As I said last week too... Because you can't love God's church if you're not here. And you can't be loved by God's church if you're not here. See the importance of it? Uh, This week Australians were encouraged to ask each other, um, uh, there is, are you okay? Uh, It was a mental health and suicide prevention initiative. I think it was particularly one day. Uh, It's a good thing. It's good because too many Australians don't ask 
those important questions deeply enough or at all. Uh, but of course, the, the, the church really shouldn't need special days of that, should it? No. Um, or special initiatives to care for one another. We're the body of Christ. We share a profound unity in the spirit and we have a saviour who shows us that love is not cheap or shallow or superficial, but it's deep, it's sacrificial and it's serving. For that is how the church works, Paul goes on to say, in love. Love is a necessity in God's church. In fact, that's the context in which these gifts should operate. That's how we use them for the common good, in love. So, last point there, and we'll, we'll finish up here. You see, Paul's conclusion at the end of chapter 12, uh, leading into what's arguably, I think, one of the most famous passages of the Bible. Um, it's pretty common at weddings. You go to a wedding, you're bound to hear 1 Corinthians 13 at some point. Um, that's okay. It's good. It's a great passage. Great passage. But in verse 27 to 30, Paul explains that we, the church, are the body of Christ, and each one of us is, is part of that, uh, and, uh, and in the church, God has appointed people to various roles with various gifts. But then in verse 31, Paul says, But eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now, what's he talking about there? What are those? Well, chapter 14 helps us a bit more uh, here, but they are the ones that serve the church and strengthen the church. In the context, that's what Paul's been saying. And he reiterates it again in chapter 14. They are the ones that build up the church. And the way to do that, in fact, the most excellent way to do that is in love. I want to close by reading out to you 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, but as I do, I want you to notice a few things, three things. Notice that love completes the gifts. Notice that love reflects God. And notice also that giftedness is temporary, but love is not. Why don't I read out this wonderful part of the Bible? Then I pray. And then uh, we'll have a time for questions. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy, does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish things behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now, well, these things remain. Faith, hope and love. 
but the greatest of these is love. Let me pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, for the gifts you've given us. We thank you for the spirit that we share and the confession we share that Jesus is indeed Lord. Lord, we pray that today, if, if anyone here is still thinking about that, we pray that today is the day they confess Jesus is Lord and know the goodness of not only your love for us and your forgiveness of our sin, but, Lord, the goodness of your church. We pray, Lord, you to keep us... Uh, help us to keep loving each other. Help us to keep using our gifts for, for the building up of your church. And Lord, we thank you so much for this community gathered here and the gifts you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.